this project exists is because of the public demand. Because the public has said, we have to do something. We have to keep invasive carp out of the Great Lakes. Public support and demand for action has been critical every single step of the way. Welcome to Lakes Chat, the show that dives into all things Great Lakes. I'm your host, Jennifer Caddick, with the Alliance for the Great Lakes. In today's episode, we're talking with Molly Flanagan, the Alliance's Chief Operating Officer and Vice President of Programs, to get an update on invasive species in the Great Lakes. We'll be talking about invasive carp, the the status of efforts to regulate ballast water, which is a main pathway for invasive species into the lakes, and the latest news from Washington, D.C. on efforts to keep invasives out of the lakes. Hi, Molly. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Jen. Thanks for having me. And I'm excited to dive in to some conversation about invasive species with you. I love it. You're the first person to pick up on our little pun there. I'm excited about it. So we have a lot to talk about today. Um, So let's start with invasive carp and just first an update on where these fish are and how close they are to the Great Lakes. You know, we know they've been creeping up the Mississippi River Basin through waterways in Illinois towards the Chicago River and Lake Michigan for years now. But tell us where are these fish right now and how far are they from Lake Michigan? So invasive carp are about 50 miles from Lake Michigan. And so that's like way too close for comfort, but it's not so close that we can't still stop them from getting into the lakes. And so we've zeroed in on a place that we've talked about before to make sure that they don't get any closer. And that's Brandon Road Lock and Dam. And so this Brandon Road location keeps coming up um, and we've, it's, we've touched on it a little bit in some of our prior episodes, but tell us a little bit more about the Brandon Road Lock and Dam. So this is south of Chicago near Jolia, Illinois, and what's proposed there and why it's such an important location. Sure. So Brandon Road Lock and Dam is a critical choke point in the river. And it's a place where we can stop invasive carp from moving any closer to the Great Lakes. So anything that wants to, um, move from one side of the lock to the other side has to do it through the lock, which is an amazing opportunity to put some protections in place to prevent carp from traversing through the lock. So specifically, we're talking about silver and big head carp. Silver carp are the fish that you see in the YouTube videos, jumping out of the water and knocking, uh, knocking people out of boats. Um, Downstate in Illinois, where these fish are prolific, they outcompete native fish for food and habitat. In some parts of the Illinois River, Asian carp account for nearly 90% of the biomass in the river. So these fish are bad news for the Great Lakes, and it's why we're so committed to keeping them out. And it's why Brandon Road is such an important part of our plan to make sure they never get there. So you asked about, you know, what exactly are they proposing there? Um, you can think about Brandon Road uh, as a fish gauntlet. It's a series of deterrents that are meant to keep the fish out of the lock so they can't use it to pass through it to get closer to the Great Lakes. 
And there's a whole host of technologies that they're, they're, that they're looking to install at Brandon Road. Um, there's something called an acoustic fish deterrent, which is basically like really loud, bad music. I mean, I don't know exactly what the sounds are that they use to deter fish, but imagine if you walked into a room and your ears started bleeding from like really awful music, you would walk back out of the room. Same idea for the fish. They get close. They don't like it. They swim away. Um, there's an air bubble curtain that's intended to help keep them from getting trapped up in spaces between boats that use that lock to go through the river. And then there's also an electric barrier. And that is exactly what it sounds like, an electric current through the water that when fish swim close to it, they feel it buzzing just like you might if you were getting closer and closer to something that is buzzing louder and louder, swim away. Or if they're not that smart and they swim into the electric barrier, they get stunned and flushed back down river. Got it. So lots of stuff proposed there, which sounds like a good idea. Have as many options as possible to keep those fish away from getting closer to Chicago. Um, and so I know, though, that the Brandon Road, this project that's proposed at the Brandon Road Lock and Dam, it isn't the first effort, right, to keep these invasive fish out of the lakes. And I know there's already one of those electric barriers closer to the lake just south of Chicago. So why isn't that one barrier enough? Why do we need all this extra stuff? Yeah. Why isn't one barrier enough and why do we need to build another? Um, so the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, just like you said, operates a series of electric barriers in the Chicago Sanitary and Shipping Canal uh, in Romeoville, Illinois. And right now, these electric barriers are the last line of defense between invasive carp and Lake Michigan. And they're really important, but they're flawed. There have been a number of studies that have shown that these electric barriers are less than 100% effective. So the studies have shown that schools of small fish can clump up together and swim through the barriers, and also that barges can trap and pull fish through the barriers. And so these are some of the things that the Corps is working to address at Brandon Road. I talked about the bubble curtain that would keep the fish out of um, getting trapped in the barges. Um, and they're also working on really maximizing that electric current, and they're going to have um, the ability to make tweaks to that electric current and that sort of the way that they're moving electricity through the river there that should make it more effective at keeping smaller fish from swimming through it. And so... These existing efforts at Romeoville are necessary. There's something that the Alliance for the Great Lakes and our partners support each year because it's something that requires funding from the federal government each year to keep turned on. Um, but some of these problems with those electric barriers are the reason the Corps identified these additional protections at Brandon Road as being so important to keep Asian carp out of the Great Lakes. Got it. That makes sense. Now, <clears throat> this is a pretty expensive project. You know, what's being proposed at this Brandon Road facility. What's the rough price tag for all this? I mean, Jen, what is a billion dollars between friends? <laughs> uh, no, seriously, the, the price tag, it is estimated right now at close to a billion dollars. It's actually $860 million or so in FY21 dollars. Um, but there are a couple things I want to note about that estimate. First, 
the core included a really big contingency. It's sort of like um, if you are planning to remodel your kitchen and you think it's going to cost $20,000, like for real, but you plan on it costing $80,000. So the core is built in this really large contingency because we don't know for sure how much these technologies or installation of the technologies is going to cost. The core is working with the states of Illinois and Michigan and the other Great Lakes states to find ways to bring these costs down without sacrificing any of the effectiveness effectiveness of the project. So while I jokingly say a billion dollars, the hope is that the actual price tag is going to come in under that. It's also important to note that we're trying to protect an enormously important economic driver in our region. The Great Lakes support a $7 billion a year fishing industry and a $16 billion a year recreational boating industry. And so a billion dollars, it is really a lot of money but these numbers, I think, really help put that into a different context that doesn't make it seem quite so large. That makes sense. When you think about what's at risk if these fish get all the way through to Lake Michigan. Yeah, right. It's worth spending a billion dollars to protect right. billions and billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, because as we've seen in those, and you mentioned this earlier, in the low, in, for instance, southern Illinois waterways, once those these carp are there, they're not, it's very difficult to get rid of them, Right. Right. And, and we've seen that time and time again with aquatic invasive species. Once they're established in an ecosystem, they are impossible to eradicate. It just, it just is, is nearly impossible to get rid of something once it's established in an ecosystem. Yeah. And so now paying for all this gets a little bit complicated, right? Because we've talked about, you know, <laughs> the lock, you know, in that facility is operated by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. And so the Corps has the lead on the project and some funding has been allocated for the first phases by the federal government. But there are some rules in place that require the states to pitch in some money as, as well, I think. You know, so what's all that about? And, you know, are the states going to be able to find the dollars to make sure this project gets built? Like, are we going to get the money together to get this done? Yeah. So I'm going to start with the good news, which you alluded to. And that is um, the core and the states are working together to finalize the engineering and design for this project. This is where we're hoping to, you know, uh, make it both as effective as possible and also bring down the cost so that it's as cost effective as possible. Um, Illinois is the official local sponsor with the Army Corps of Engineers. The project is in the state of Illinois, so it's the local sponsor. That means it's signed on the dotted line uh, with the Corps to put funding into this current design and engineering phase of work. And the good news is we have all the money that we need to finish design and engineering. Between the states of Michigan and Illinois, uh, the local sponsor money is in place. And then the bipartisan infrastructure law uh, commits $226 million to Brandon Road. And that's a game changer because it provides all of the federal funds for engineering and design. And it also includes federal funds for the first year of construction, which would allow us to move seamlessly from engineering and design to construction if some of the other things that you're asking about are in place. So you mentioned states and like, how are we going to pay for this? Um, for most Army Corps projects, 
there's funding that's provided by the federal government, and then there's funding that has to be provided by non-federal dollars. It doesn't necessarily have to come from the local sponsor. Just like I mentioned, Michigan and Illinois together are putting in money for design and engineering. So it is possible that all of the Great Lakes states could come together and pool money to pay for construction. But you'll recall that we're talking about a billion dollar project. And for this project, the requirement is uh, 20% for non-federal funding of the construction cost. And that's more than $170 million. That's a lot of money. And it's a lot of money for any state uh, to pony up. It's a lot of money to even for all eight Great Lakes states to pony up for the project. And so the Alliance and our partners uh, and the states are arguing that this project should be constructed at 100% federal expense. There's a precedent for this. We talked about the electric barriers at Romeoville a couple, minute, a couple minutes ago. Those actually were constructed at 100% federal expense and they're operated and maintained at 100% federal expense as well. So we've got a good argument that we've got deterrence in the water for invasive species that the feds have paid for. Also, we're talking about a project that would protect eight states and two Canadian provinces. So we're actually talking about international protections uh, with this project. And then finally, the technologies that are going to be developed and deployed at Brandon Road can be used in other parts of the country to stop the movement of other invasive species. So we think we have a really good argument for why the federal government should pay for this project. Got it. And there's advocacy efforts underway right now, I think, right, to to get this put into some law to say, yeah, the federal government's going to pay for all of this, right? That's that's happening right now in Washington. That's like literally happening right now. As we speak, Don Jodry, uh, our federal government relations director, is working to make sure this gets included in legislation that could be introduced, uh, you know, as early, I don't know when they plan to introduce it, but definitely this year. Um, and the opportunity is to make changes in this year's Water Resources Development Act. This is legislation that it authorizes Army Corps projects across the country. Brandon Road construction was actually authorized in the last version of WERDA, in WERDA 2020. This year, we want Congress to adjust the cost share to 100% federal funding for construction. And like, like you said, those negotiations are, are actually happening right now. And so, you know, this is, we've been talking about this project for years, right? As long as I've been at the Alliance, I know, and before that, um, so for decades, really. And I know over the, the past number of years, you know, thousands of people from around the Great Lakes regions have, you know, attended public meetings and sent letters to elected officials and made calls. Has that made a difference here? Has that helped all of that advocacy and all of that attention from people around the region? Yes, absolutely. The only reason that this project exists is because of the public demand because the public has said, we have to do something. We have to keep invasive carp out of the Great Lakes. Public support and demand for action has been critical every single step of the way in this project. Um, port. Um, but the, the most recent example of this is uh, the bipartisan infrastructure law. Um, 
And next up, we were just talking about uh, needing 100% federal funding for construction. So we're going to need public support. That's a big ask. Um, it isn't very, even though I cited an example where, where the feds did in fact pay for 100% of a project, they don't do that very often. And I think we have a really good opportunity because we, and by we, I don't mean just the Alliance and our partners, but we, the, the Great Lakes region, have done such a great job of shining a light on the damage that this could cause to an international treasure, the Great Lakes, that I think we have a really good argument to make, but we're going to need public support to get 100% federal funding for construction. And so for anyone who's listening right now, call your senator, call your member of Congress, ask them to support 100% federal funding for construction of the Brandon Road Project. And what we're and, and, and if you need a reminder, what we're looking for is 100% federal funding for construction of the Brandon Road Project to keep invasive carp out of the Great Lakes in the next version of the Water Resources Development Act. And you can find those kinds of requests on our website. That's an excellent pitch, Molly. I was just going to head there. Um, if people go to greatlakes.org slash take action, um, there's an action that is included in the whole package of actions that people can send about our overall federal agenda. And that's part of our ask this year. So it's, we make it super easy for people to send a letter or make a call. Um, <clears throat> what's the timeline for all of this? So it sounds like this is a, a really big project to build. Um, so when will it actually be, when, when's the projection of when it might actually be built and stopping these carp? One of the cool things, if, if we can talk about core projects is cool, and I think the core would say that we absolutely can, um, is that the core is designing this project so that the technologies can be installed incrementally. And what that means is that they don't have to wait for the entire project to be finished to mm -hmm. turn it on and get some additional protections. They're designing it so that they can install certain pieces of it and activate them while they're continuing to work on other pieces of it. We could see some additional protection in place by 2025 or 2026, but the full project isn't likely to be complete until closer to 2030. Got it. So we still have a ways to go. That's for sure. We do. We still have a ways to go. We're still going to need a lot of public support along the way. Uh, we're still going to need all of the efforts uh, of, of um, the state of Illinois to uh, harvest fish and, and, and keep pressure down uh, for those fish to move closer to the Great Lakes. We're still going to need operation of those electric barriers at Romeoville. Um, but yeah, we're, we're moving. We're like, in the middle of engineering and design, and uh, we could, they, I think they could launch construction as early as FY24. So we're That's like, right, like right around the corner. <laughs> That's great news. That's great news for the Great Lakes, for sure. Um, I do want to shift a little bit and take a few minutes to talk about the other pathway for invasive species into the lakes, and that's ballast water. So we haven't talked about ballast water in a little while, um, a couple of years, but remind our audience, what is ballast water and why has it been such a focus in the fight to keep invasives out of the lakes? Absolutely. And I love talking about ballast water. So thanks for asking. Um, ballast water is what ships use to balance themselves when they're loading and unloading cargo. So they take on ballast water 
when they discharge cargo so that the ship will remain lower in the water and safer to navigate to the next part, port. And they discharge ballast water when they take on cargo. But it's not just water that they release. If they were at a port, if they were at some freshwater port somewhere else in the world and they were unloading cargo and taking on ballast water, they're sucking up sediment and any other like critters that are in that water. And so then when they release that at a Great Lakes port, as I said, they're not just releasing the water, they're releasing anything else that might have gotten pulled up in with that water. Uh, ballast water is the most common way that aquatic invasive species have gotten into the Great Lakes. And so it's a really, it's like something that, that almost no one thinks about on a daily basis. And yet it's a really critical way to protect the Great Lakes from aquatic invasive species is making sure that ballast water is effectively regulated. And now there's been a very long effort to regulate ship ballast tanks. So we don't have time today to get into the whole history. We'll have to make another whole episode about that. Um, <clears throat> and the particular focus has always been on ocean going ships. They were sort of the, the biggest offender, so to speak. And so we had a few big wins um, a, a couple of years ago. And now the U.S. Coast Guard and the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency are required to work together to develop and implement regulations. So starting with the shipping season, which is you know, open in a couple of weeks for ocean going ships coming into the lakes, what's required right now for those ships coming into the lakes around cleaning up their ship ballast tanks? So right now, ocean going vessels, all of them have to conduct ballast water exchange or ballast water flushing before they can enter the Great Lakes. So this is where they flush salt water through their ballast water tanks in an effort to kill and remove as many critters as possible that might have gotten caught inside of them. And so that's required. Um, any new ocean-going vessel has to have ballast water treatment on board. And anytime an ocean-going vessel goes into dry dock, it has to install ballast water treatment technology. You can think of ballast water treatment technology is like a mini wastewater treatment plant for ballast water. Um, and so that's required right now. And so we are in the process of getting ballast water treatment on board for all ocean going vessels entering the Great Lakes. Now there's a loophole though, right? In all these regulations around ships called Lakers. And those are ships that only stay in the Great Lakes. They don't ever go out on the oceans. Um, so why are they a concern and, and what's the problem there? Yeah, so Lakers stay in the lakes, um, but they move around the lakes. And so they can take an aquatic invasive species that's been introduced at a port in Lake Erie and move it to a port in Lake Superior. And they can move those things really fast. Like, you know, some little critter in the water in Lake Erie isn't going to make it to Lake Superior in the same number of days that a Laker could move it. So we need to stop the introduction of new aquatic invasive species. And we also need to really slow the movement of invasive species to give us time to react and contain new invasions when that is poss possible. You, I mean, if you, if you can catch an invasion early and you don't have an established population, there is a chance that you could prevent 
a new invasive species from establishing itself in the Great Lakes. If ships have already moved that population to lots of places in the Great Lakes, that's a lot harder, probably impossible to isolate and, and eradicate. And so what's the status of regulating the Lakers? I know that the Alliance has been and other groups have been doing some advocacy to close up this loophole. What's, what's the status of all that? I have some good news on this front. Uh, Canada is regulating all Lakers that operate in Canadian waters um, by requiring them to do ballast water treatment by 2030, I believe. So Transport Canada is regulating Lakers. The U.S. is in the process of developing new regulations for ballast water. Um, the Trump administration's Environmental Protection Agency issued draft rules in 2020 that exempted Lakers. But luckily, those rules were never finalized. So the Biden administration's Environmental Protection Agency is reviewing those rules, and we and our partners are asking them to put Lakers on a path to regulation so that any vessel operating in the Great Lakes has to treat its ballast water. We're not asking Lakers to do more. We're asking Lakers to do the same. We want ocean-going vessels and Lakers both to have to treat their ballast water. So any of these big vessels operating in the Great Lakes have to treat their ballast water to protect the Great Lakes from invasive species. So big picture on all of this with invasive species, whether it's ballast water or invasive carp, what's next? What are you keeping an eye on in the coming year? Yeah, so we're definitely keeping a close eye on EPA's ballast water rules. We don't know when we might see news about that. Um, they did a round of public listening and, and did some additional engagement of the states um, a while back. And federal government is at work. And so <laughs> we don't know exactly what they're working on, but we know they're working and we're eager to see uh, what they come up with. We're hopeful that, as I said, they will put Lakers on a path to regulation so that they will need to, to treat their ballast water. We're also closely watching the Water Resources Development Act, which I mentioned uh, earlier, looking to see that we get 100% federal uh, cost share for construction at Brandon Road. And then at the state level, actually, in, in Illinois, uh, we're watching because Illinois is going to have to sign another dotted line with the Corps of Engineers in order to move to the construction phase of the project. And that's scheduled to happen this year. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of things swirling and happening at the same time as we're trying to get 100 percent cost share for the pro federal cost share for the project and also trying to get Illinois, you know, to sign on the dotted line for construction. And so those are those are the three things I say we're we're watching really closely this year. Um, and I think you know at least two of those, and maybe even the ballast water rules, frankly, are all things that uh, supporters of the Great Lakes and supporters of the Alliance for the Great Lakes can engage in. Um, word is a legislative process, so again. Action alert on our website, you know, call, call your senator, call your member of Congress. Illinois, if you live in Illinois, you can reach out to the governor's office or reach out to the Illinois Department of Natural Resources and make sure they understand that keeping invasive carp out of the Great Lakes is a priority for you. 
uh, and that you understand it's a priority for them. And so, you know, we need them to stay on schedule uh, and make sure that construction begins on time. And then with EPA's balance water rules, even though that's a process that's gone sort of in inside at EPA, if that's something you care about, you can send a letter to EPA explaining to them that like to protect the Great Lakes, we need to regulate Lakers. And so uh, for all these things, there's an opportunity for anyone who cares to have their voice heard. Yeah, and I think that's a great <clears throat> reminder for folks that they can visit our website, greatlakes.org, and sign up for our email list for updates from you and others on our policy team when these um, issues do come forward, whether it's in Congress or if US EPA does release some regulations for people to comment on, and we'll, we'll keep everybody up to date on all of that. So um, thank you so much, Molly, for joining us today. We have covered a lot of ground on invasive species in the Great Lakes, but this has been really informative. So thanks for joining us today and sharing all this knowledge with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Jen. Thanks. Thank you for listening. On our website, greatlakes.org slash lakeschat, you'll find links to more information about the topics that we talked about today. And you can also sign up for updates to stay in the know about Great Lakes issues and opportunities to get involved. Special thank you to my colleague, Michelle Farley, who produces this podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you'll know when the next episode drops. Talk to you next week.